Okay. All right, well, we'll get started. Um, and uh, I'll start with prayer, and then we can kind of get into the lessons for today. Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for being the great creator that created this whole world, um, and not just created the whole world, but you actually spoke into existence everything that we see and everything that we have, and then you wanted to have a relationship with us. So we thank you for that truth. Um, we pray that you'd be with us today as we uh, dig into um, your word and what it means um, and how we can apply it to our lives. We pray that um, the discussion here would be fruitful uh, and that um, you would be honored and, and given glory uh, in the conversation. We pray for the, uh, the worship service, that you'd be with um, whoever is preaching, uh, and that we would um, be encouraged and blessed uh, by worshiping you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so this week we're going to be talking about inspiration. And so uh, this class is a little bit different than some other classes in that there's not a lot of building up uh, of previous topics, but I do want to touch on a couple of things that we've talked about before. Uh, in the first week, we discussed uh, revelation uh, and the idea of natural or general revelation and special revelation. Um, and then Danny, last week, when he was talking about progressive revelation, he um, discussed some of those concepts as well. So uh, the book that we're going through is by Thomas, the Bible, God's Inerrant Word. Um, so there's, I think, one more copy, it looks like, over there, and a copy of Ryle. Um, so my goal for today is to do a quick review and then talk through what, it, what does inspiration mean specifically um, and how that makes the Bible different. And then we're going to do a deep dive into uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, because that's kind of the core verse that gives us this doctrine. I want to talk a few, for a few minutes about some alternative beliefs about inspiration and how that is different than what, uh, what our church would hold to specifically um, and, and why it's important that our view of inspiration is what it is in comparison to others. And then just a little bit of application at the end. Um, but we'll kind of start with a review. So uh, last week and in the first week we talked about natural revelation. What did we say natural revelation was? Like God's creation showing us. God's creation, right. God is in the majesty of the world. And that's a revelation for everybody, regardless of their status with, with God. That's revelation, that natural revelation. And so the outpouring of the natural revelation, so this isn't like a dichotomous thing. It's not natural revelation and then special revelation. Within the creation, God didn't stop with this general uh, revelation about who he is, right? So he says... Psalm 19, we've talked about the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We've spent time talking about Romans 1 and how people are without excuse for what God has revealed about themselves and about himself. But then God takes it a step further and he gives us special revelation. He speaks into creation. So he speaks creation into existence in general revelation. And then he speaks into creation with special revelation. So this is what we would call revelation that can't be understood by senses or reason. There's something extra that is uh, happening here. And we talked about special agents that delivered this special revelation. We talked about the patriarchs, the prophets, and the apostles. 
We also talked about special content of this special revelation. So um, Burkhoff uh, from, the, from the men's study talks about special revelation and a fourfold purpose of special revelation. He says uh, that the content of special revelation is to, to correct and interpret the truths uh, which we get from general revelation. So God has generally revealed himself to us and then special revelation helps us interpret what we're actually seeing. Like God created the world, but what does that mean? So special revelation helps us correct and interpret that. And we'll talk, I think that that ties into some of what we're talking about in 2 Timothy. And it also is to illuminate man so that he can read, read the handwriting of God in nature to furnish the man with God's revelation of redemptive love. And then the fourth is to change his entire spiritual condition by redeeming him from the power of sin and leading him back into communion with God. So that, that fourfold, that last point of special revelation is the gospel. So we don't get the gospel in general revelation, but God reveals his redemptive work, his redemptive love for his people uh, and the gospel in special revelation. And then we talked about delivery systems, and that's what we're going to really focus in on. So the different ways that God has chosen to reveal himself in a special way. And really that finds its culmination in scripture. So let's start talking about inspiration. What does inspiration mean? What do you think of when you hear the word inspiration or to inspire? I think of the... courage. The, yeah, to encourage, right? I think of the the cheesy '90s uh, posters with the cat holding and like empowerment or teamwork <laughs> or whatever, right? So there's a sense in which um, encouragement. So is the Bible inspiring in an encouragement type of way? We'd say yes, right? That's a pretty good hearty amen. Not everyone's having coffee, but hearty amen, right? The Bible is inspiring, but. Is that what we're talking about here? I think it's like creating something inside someone else that they don't already have Correct. for themselves. Right? Yeah. It's like if you're motivating someone to do well in an activity, you've inspired them to do that activity. They didn't necessarily have it in them themselves. Like Good. your kids with picking up their rooms. Yeah. Something like that. Simple. Yeah. Simple or scripture, right? Yeah. So we're so we're building on that idea of inspiration. Is as more than just an encouragement, but an actual, uh, an actual implanting of something in somebody to do something that they didn't have for themselves right. to do, right? <clears throat> and so we would say that that is somewhat what we're talking about when we're talking about the scripture being inspired. But but there's there's more to it, and and part of it is the word inspiration is probably an incomplete description for what we're actually talking about when we talk about the inspiration of scripture. And so that word and that, that term and how we have taken that term to mean what we're talking about when we talk about the Bible being inspired was, uh, came out of the 1611 King James Version translation. So before that, uh, we were really talking about Greek translations and Latin translations, but that word inspiration um, has partially the correct kind of terminology, so the idea of the spiration, so take that in part out, um, but the adding in to inspiration kind of distorts the meaning of what we're talking about. So the Bible is more than just encouraging. The Bible is, uh, God inspiring the Bible is more than just God putting ideas into men's hearts so that they could write it. 
we would say our belief system is that the Bible is actually verbally inspired. So this, in the sense that God didn't just put ideas or didn't just create a, 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 an encouraging thought in the biblical writers' minds, and then they wrote from that thought, but that those words, each word of Scripture is inspired from God. And so what we're really talking about, the best term is, is actually the biblical term, and it's um, the idea of God breathed. So theanustas, God breathed. This is more than just an inspiration. God breathed out Scripture. So he didn't breathe into Scripture. He didn't, the Scripture didn't exist, and he didn't just breathe into it. He didn't give it inspiration. He didn't give it authority. He breathed it out. Like on a cold day, the author talks about on a cold day, you breathe out and you can see your breath. In the same way that breathing out is something that we, this, that's how we would describe what scripture is. Theaustos. So God exhales and the product is scripture. Mm. What, are, what are some thoughts about that? Does that kind of make sense? It sounds like the same, correct me if I'm wrong, but like it's the same as like creation. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that all that throughout scripture, this idea of breathing the mouth of God, right? Jesus in in Matthew 4, when he's dealing with Satan says, not, uh, what is it? I have it right here. I should know this off the top of my head. (laughs) Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God speaks creation into existence. The words that come out of the mouth of God are authoritative. And so we would say, just like creation, just like natural revelation tells us... Even Christ is the Logos, the Word. Yeah, the world, the word made flesh, right? Yeah. But there is this idea that there's a speaking, there's a, there's a... God does something active and we receive something passively. Mm-hmm. So God is not speaking into scripture he's speaking out scripture and that's an important i think distinction as we kind of move forward um i uh used some other resources and one of the resources that i thought well two resources that i thought were particularly helpful outside of the the book that we're studying um was bb warfield wrote a really thick book and i did not read the whole book (laughs) (laughs) i just read a part of the book that was pertinent to this but, uh, and the other is Herman Bobbink, who was a, a theologian in, uh, in the Netherlands. Love those guys, some of those guys from the Netherlands. Um, but those two guys specifically, they were contemporaries of each other, but B.B. Warfield was at Princeton here in the U.S., and uh, Bobbink was uh, obviously in Europe, but they were contemporaries, so 1850s, born in 1850s, died in 1921. And one of the things that I'm struck with when I read their script, that, that time period, the the authority of scripture was under attack. So mm-hmm. we hear, we talk about Christianity and liberalism by uh, Machen later on, kind of in the early 1900s. But these guys were at the forefront of trying to fight for and preserve the idea of the authority of scripture. So B.B. Warfield's book is The authority, the Inspiration and Authority of the Bible. And then um, I got a few quotes from Bavink in, the, in his Reformed Dogmatics, which is kind of his seminal work. I got the, the short version, the abridged version, because I don't have room on my shelf for the eight, the eight or ten versions. <laughs> Wordy folks. So here's what Bavink says um, about uh, Scripture. He says, Holy Scripture, and this kind of gets to the idea that 
similar to other theological um, ideas, important theological ideas, we don't we have a couple of scriptures that specifically say this is God that God's word is or, or scripture is God breathed, right? Mm-hmm. But but this idea of inspiration and what how we'll kind of further define it is not like expressly written in scripture in a, in a, in a comprehensive sense. But what Bavink says is that uh, Holy Scripture nowhere offers a clearly formulated dogma on inspiration, but confronts us with the witnesses of its God-breathed character. So the idea that even though we have Second Timothy and we have Second Peter that tell us that it's God-breathed, we also have the whole of Scripture that proves to us that it is God-breathed. And it furnishes us with all the components needed for construction of that dogma. And he relates it to the, the idea of the Trinity, which isn't expressly communicated in Scripture, but is um, by necessary consequence, I think the Westminster says. So before we get into really digging into 2 Timothy, uh, any questions so far? Am I doing all right, y'all? Nothing, okay. <coughs> Nothing heretical? We're keeping on track? So I want to talk about inspiration and the different views, and then I want to dig into what we believe as a church about inspiration and why that's specifically important. So uh, Warfield says, uh, wherever five quote-unquote advanced thinkers assemble, at least six theories on inspiration are likely to ventilate. I I love the word ventilate because we're talking about breathing and all that stuff, but... His, uh, his use of the word ventilate is interesting. But you see, Warfield and Bobby, and I'm sure others that were writing during this time, defending the authority of Scripture, they had a sense of urgency. They were not beating around the bush. They were really, really uh, direct in their communication. Um, the, the elevated or heightened, you can read it in the way that they're writing. It's a very heightened, like, this is really important. We're not debating over you know, methods of communion or methods of baptism, things that we might consider not as important. Like this is the very word of God. And if we get this wrong, if we get inspiration wrong, we get a lot of other stuff wrong. So the four views uh, that I want to highlight and uh, and then we could kind of dig in. We'll start with three that we would not hold to, uh, at least two that we would definitely not hold to and one that we would probably partially hold to. The first is neo-orthodox view, and this actually came after um, Bob Inc. And, and Warfield in the 1940s, kind of post World War II, with Karl Barth, uh, and he mentions it in the in the book, uh, uh, our little book here. Um, so this neo-orthodox view of inspiration is that God is so transcendent that we actually can't know Him through direct revelation. So they deny the concept of natural revelation in the sense that God is revealing Himself or that the Bible is act, is actually God's word. So they would say Jesus is the word of God and that we use the Bible to know about him, but that the Bible is just a tool among many that we use to figure out who Jesus is. So kind of it's not about God, it's about specifically about Christ. Scripture is only inspired in the sense that God can sometimes use the fallible words written by fallible people to speak to individuals. So we would probably we would say that this is kind of a postmodern view, right? So scripture we don't we don't believe in a static. I think um, Thomas talks about Barth saying that we don't believe that the scripture is a static uh, 
thing that God has revealed. So we don't, the 66 books of the Bible is not the final authority, but that Jesus is the final authority and the Bible is a tool that we kind of use. And that opens up a lot of, a lot of issues, right? A lot of issues. One of the issues that it, that it opens up is what do we do? Who, who's the authority then that interprets the Bible, right? Exactly. And what we get to is that the each individual, each individual person is there. That's the person that can interpret the scripture correctly. I think Bart even mentioned it to some degree, like the Bible is a meaningful saga. Or something yeah, like that. a meaningful saga. It's not, you know, and you know, that came out of this time where there's a lot of disillusion about like, why is there evil in the world? We're coming off the World War yeah. II and like not internationally, but especially in Europe where Barth is operating, we see a lot of disillusion about, well, I mean, the Bible says God's good. Why is there concentration camps that we're finding in Germany? And so you, we can't divorce the teaching from the time frame that we're, right. we're thinking through. The second and probably more common in today's evangelical world is the idea of limited inspiration. And so this is the idea that some scripture is really, really inspired, but other scripture is not as inspired. And especially scripture that might have historic, what we would, what people would perceive as historical inaccuracies or logical inaccuracies. So the idea is man worked, man worked to write scripture with a limited amount of information and God had limited input. So this idea, kind of the, what we were talking about with um, at the beginning, so the idea that God just put an idea or a thought or an encouragement into somebody's mind and heart, and then they kind of wrote down what they said. Um, Bobic kind of pokes holes in this one and says, well, then that makes scripture just a little bit more than somebody's diary, devotional diary. So God didn't actually inspire the words. All he did was inspire some ideas, some, some higher thinking, and then the people just wrote down what they were thinking. So we would, and Warfield calls this the mystical view. Man has something within himself that can determine what God meant when he inspired people. So we would, we would uh, obviously, uh, based on scripture, not be able to hold to that position either. But it is a common position that we see in uh, evangelical, especially American evangelical, where what is your truth, what is my truth, the, the imposition of this postmodern philosophy into, this, into the church. The third is not completely incorrect, but this is the idea of dictation. So God, pretty much these, peop- these men, these 40 authors were just secretaries, and God just told them exactly what to write. And so there are certain texts where that is the case, right? We have examples of that in scripture where God says, write this down, right? Abraham, write this down. This is what my law is. I want you to write it down, right? Um, Revelation 1 through 3. John, Jesus is revealing himself. Write these letters down to the seven churches, right? So we have examples of that. So we can't throw this away on its face. But what the dictation method or the dictation view of inspiration does is it downplays the human authors, right? It downplays, and it's not true to how we read scripture. Paul and Peter and James write differently, and they write differently than Moses did. Like, there are the differences between the authors. The the gospels are good examples of this. There's There's a historical context to John, the gospel of John, that there's not to the others. 
there's definitely some differences in the way that these men wrote. And so the dictation view takes, kind of levels that out. So we would say there are certain circumstances where God dictated what he wanted the people to hear. But then there's situations where that's not obviously not the case. So the, the last is what, what we would hold to as a church and what the Reformed tradition generally holds to is uh, we would say that in, the inspiration is verbal and we use the term plenary inspiration. So let's break those down. Plenary is, is kind of a, an off word. Obviously, verbal is not. Verbal is the very words of Scripture. So it's not just that God implanted thoughts and ideas into people and let them run with it, but that every word in Scripture is breathed out by God, not just ideas. So verbal, plenary, meaning complete or full. So all of Scripture, not just parts of Scripture, not just parts that we think seem more inspired than others, but all of Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, and we'll talk through that. So that's a belief that we have. We can't, we can't hold to the limited inspiration view because the limited inspiration view does not include all Scripture. So plenary, all Scripture. Uh, and then inspiration is... Um, is obviously something we've talked about. It's more than just an idea. God is inspiring these men with actual words, and every single part of Scripture is included in that. Thoughts? I have a question. I'm just wondering. Yeah. Any thoughts on why did God use the men to write it out? Was it him writing out and something? Yeah. I, I, that's a that's a big question. Uh, I think, and y'all help me if you if you want. If other people can help me, I think yeah. I God has God has consistently the plan of redemption has included us, and so there's a sense in which if God did that, it wouldn't limit the authority of it, but it would kind of detach that from His story of redemption. Like He uses people through fallible people through His story of redemption. And so the scripture is kind of a, a microcosm. And I'm th- I was thinking about this last night when I was kind of going over some of the notes. And 40 authors, 1,600 years, and there's continuity, incredible continuity. Like that speaks to, like God could have just said it all, right, and wrote it all down. But the idea that he used all these men from all these different places over this long of a period of time and it all tells the same story just elevates how awesome scripture is even more and yes if god verbally came down and did that it would we would probably have that awe but i think on this side of of the cross to look back and see and we can't even agree we could play the telephone game right now and if i started with sheldon i would i would find something very different on the other side of the the room but then God, but God has used all those men over all that period of time, and and the message is the same. That's so cool, and I think that just makes it even more meaningful in some ways. I think you also got to consider like, that God is in complete control of everything, right? Yeah. And so He could have written all of it, but He's deliberately not making humans <coughs> like angels, and He deliberately said that I spoke and the world was created, but then this creation that was created within me and the humans mm-hmm. have to choose to follow me so 
he had to like draw off some what in there and like I don't know how to like make that sound spiritual no yeah it's right? like like he's created humans to be able to choose him or not yeah right and then he also says like general versus what was the general versus special special revelation. Yeah, general yeah. revelation is there already so you should already believe in me because I created this and I breathed this and this is here but obviously like we as humans don't get that and so he adds a little bit more I think last week we talked about like there's a lot more physical interaction in the Old Testament. Yeah. But they had to have the same level of faith because they didn't have the Bible there to read. Sure. Right? And so there's that crossing of the physical and him touching everything to we now have the Bible there that it's not physical, but the whole story is still explained for them. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's I think that's a, head that you can I hear you. Maybe it also makes it more relatable and yeah. understandable sure. to us as humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is this is a human. This is God communicating to us in a human way. So there's a sense also, and I've got a quote at the end that I think really encapsulate that encapsulates this. But there's a sense also that like God is infinite and so beyond us that to try to communicate to us in a human way, it would be. I mean, just the the comprehension of God is so He used humans. And inspired them in a really specific way so that his truths could be communicated in a way that we could understand. And we'll talk about understanding comparatively um, later on. And with the written down words, we, the Bible says, we depend on the Holy Spirit to, to get it, right? So it's written down. And I think of the parables, Jesus is talking to a crowd and some people get it and some people don't. And the disciples ask him, why do you use parables? Why don't I just come right out and say it? And, he's, and he gives a reason like, well, because some people are going to get it get it, and some people aren't. Like, so how, part of how God communicates, in addition to the words, is you know, the Holy Spirit acting in the hearts yeah. of the listener. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just imagining, um, I mean, he did make a couple of exceptions where he wrote, he wrote stuff down. Yeah. Know, and, his finger on the tablet yeah. of stone or whatever and handed it out but most of it you know people people wrote it on uh, you know some kind of paper some kind of ink so that's I mean I think that's part of the package of how God communicates yeah it involves the Holy Spirit in addition to the written down inspired words yeah <clears throat> I think Bavink sum, sums this the, the views of inspiration up well he would call this verbal plenary inspiration and organic inspiration, the idea that God is organically using human men to write down what his uh, revelation is. And in contrast, he calls the dynamic view, and this is that kind of limited inspiration or neo-orthodox inspiration, and then the mechanical view is, um, he says, God treats human beings, including the biblical authors, not as blocks of wood, but as intelligent and moral beings. And so how, do, how does God accomplish this? We talked about situations where there's dictation um, and God dictates or God writes directly onto the stone tablets. But um, what we would say is that this, this actually was accomplished uh, through the spirit. The spirit uh, is, is God's mechanism in the individual author's um, lives. And so it, there is some dictation, but then there's a couple of things in John. If someone could pull up John 14, 26, and someone could pull up John 16, 12 through 14. 
1426. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit is being sent. So this is Jesus before um, before uh, the Great Commission and before he, the crucifixion saying, I'm going to send the Spirit and he's going to teach you some things that you're going to write down, right? But then also he's going to help you remember what I taught you. Like he's going to give you like a supernatural memory. So there's a sense in which the writers of the New Testament especially um, you know, Jesus has high regard for the Old Testament, quotes it as the word of God multiple times. But there's a sense in which this is, this is pointing forward to the authors of the New Testament saying, you authors, you are going to get the spirit. And it's not only going to help teach you things, in essence, give you the words to say when you're writing, but it's also going to help you remember what I taught you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you remember this because there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen between now and when you sit down to write this thing, right? But I'm going to help you remember it. And then John 16, kind of related to that. Does anyone have that? I've got it. 12 through 14? Yeah. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So there's a declaration component to this. And what Jesus is kind of getting at in this passage is like, I, I want to tell you everything, but like the crucifixion is about to happen and the resurrection is about to happen. And you might not understand right now. So when you go back to remember what I'm teaching you, you might not get the context. So there's some stuff that I'm going to give you new insights about later on after you've experienced some of what's happening, and that's going to help you to write down what. So, so there's a practical part of, of inspiration. It's not just a man, a, a monk sitting in a, in a cloister somewhere, like writing down what God is, is telling him. There's a sense in which... This is an experiential thing. And I know the next couple weeks we're going to get into human authorship, so I won't steal too much thunder from those folks. But I think it's important for us to think about that. So kind of to put a bow on this, our, our statement, I pulled up the uh, beliefs tab on our website to make sure that I was saying the correct thing, that I'm representing the church. And I, but I think it's important. I, you know, When we were looking for churches a few years ago, one of the first things I would do is go to the beliefs tab and look and see what they had to say about scripture. Because this is where a church is gonna be the most specific, thoughtful about what they say about uh, their beliefs, and specifically scripture. So CBC says, we believe in the verbal plenary, I've been saying that all week to myself, but then there it is. Uh, God breathed inspiration of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, consisting of 66 books, inerrant, which we'll talk about in subsequent lecture or classes, uh, in its original writings, inerrant in its original writings. Here's another example. Listen to the, the specific terminology. We believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's a vital component, component for helping us understand God's will for our lives. That's a lot less specific. Mm -hmm. That leaves a lot more room for some of the things that we talked about, other interpretations of uh, of inspiration, limited inspiration or neo-orthodoxy. 
All right, so with the remaining time, I want to get into 2 Timothy 3, because that is the verse that we go to when we talk about the Bible being inspired. So I'm going to read it, uh, and I'm going to start in 12, because I want to hit 15, because I'm going to go back to 15 when we do some of the application points. So this is 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then here's our big two verses. All scripture, all scripture is God breathed or is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Some other translations would that complete is perfect. Um, so here's our four, four application points, which helps us to further solidify our belief of verbal plenary inspiration. The first is that this verse says all scripture. So it says all, some translations say every, but all scripture is breathed out by God, all. So that's the plenary part of our belief system. <clears throat> It doesn't say all types of scripture. It just says all scripture. So the limited uh, inspiration folks would have to insert all inspired scripture. But that's not what even from, I don't read Greek, but the, the Greek would say all scripture. That's a pretty simple point. So it kind of tosses out this neo-orthodoxy view. It tosses out the idea of um, limited inspiration. And it doesn't allow for cultural accommodations either. All means all. It's pretty simple, straightforward. So that's the first part. The second part is that God is speaking through Scripture. So this is the idea of theanustas, the God-breathed part of Scripture. What Scripture says, God says. And so uh, I thought that I'm going to read this uh, short quote from the, the book where he quotes uh, Calvin on his, in his uh, commentaries on 2 Timothy. He says, Moses and the prophets did not utter at random what, would, what we have from their hand, but since they spoke by divine impulse, they confidently and fearlessly testified, and was, as was actually the case, that it was the mouth of the Lord that spoke. We owe scripture the same reverence which we owe to God because it has proceeded from him alone and has nothing of man mixed with it. So this takes that idea of theanustas and because that is true, because that part of the verse is there, right? There's a sense in which scripture should be revered and awed. Awe because how the heck did God... How could he have possibly put this scripture together for us to have um, in his sovereignty over time, in his inspiration of the authors? But this is a representation of God. Now, you could get into the, and he talks about this in the book, you could get into the issue of like worshiping the Bible as like the, the actual physical Bible uh, or bibliolatry, I think, ideology of the Bible. Um, 
And he talks about that. But we should have a reverence for Scripture. We should have a reverence for um, what God has breathed out to us. It's important for that. Um, the other thing that he mentions, the third application point, is that Scripture doesn't become God's Word. Like when we acknowledge that it is, Scripture is God's Word. It It is out of God, not God doesn't confirm it. God generates it. Mm -hmm. um, and that contrasts with the neo-orthodoxy view of inspiration. And then uh, the last thing is there's a purpose and function to Scripture. So the, this verse says, all Scripture is breathed out by God, and, and there's an and there. So what does that mean? So it means that it's, it says it's profitable for four things, teaching, <clears throat> reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Those are the four things that, that and then it for what? Why, why are we caring about what it is? So it's profitable. It's God-breathed, so it's got to be profitable. It's, it's something we should have awe and reverence for. And it's useful. It's, it's not just an academic exercise when we read Scripture. It actually shapes us. It should shape us. So teaching is the idea that it's affecting the mind, which is we're learning, we're, we're in this class, and we're learning about the idea of inspiration. So there's an idea where the Scripture can teach us. But that's not enough to actually equip us for every good work, which is kind of the result of this profitability. Because I could teach somebody something and they could interpret it differently. They could get it wrong. I'm a teacher in my vocation, which is frustrating sometimes, more times than not. But it's frustrating because I teach my students something and then they mess it up. <laughs> and in healthcare, we don't want them to mess it up, right? We don't want them to mess it up. But they mess it up. So the teaching part is important, but that's not, the, that's not all of it, right? So there's teaching. The Bible teaches us. But then it rebukes us or reproves us. So there's a, that's a, kind of the negative connotation of you got this wrong, you've got to get it right. We've got to fix this, right? So, so it rebukes us or it, it tells us about our sin. But then it doesn't leave us in that negative as aspect. Then it corrects us, right? So the third part is correcting us. So we're talking about the mind teaching. Reproof. Um, is more of our will and desire and motivations and that leads to action and then correction is how to guide us into the Christian life bring us further into conformity with Christ so it talks about uh, in that verse but also Romans 8 talks about conformity with Christ Calvin says this reproof and correction differ little from each other except that the latter correction proceeds from the former reproof for the beginning of repentance is the knowledge of our sinfulness and a conviction of the judgment of God. So we start with the acknowledgement of our sinfulness and conviction, and then, so the Bible gives us that, and then it also gives us correction so that we know how to, how to get out of that situation. And then training in righteousness, this is the idea of discipling or disciplining and shaping us. So that's kind of that process. So scripture, teaches us, corrects us, or teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness, that path. So I think of the golden chain of redemption in Romans 8, that idea of like, there's a process 
that scripture uses to conform us into the the man of God or messenger of God. So that kind of talks to us uh, through, uh, brings us to the great commission of this is what we're supposed to do. So we start, it, it shapes us and then it helps us shape the world, right? Go into all nations and disciple them and baptize them in the name of Jesus. Um, thoughts about that? I should have more thought questions, but we're staying on time too, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I just think inspiration is fascinating. Yeah. Because, you know, we are, you know, it was authored by humans except through um, the absolute uh, inspiration of God. It's just, it's just fascinating that um, Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how it was done. Yeah. Or, <laughs> Or the, the, the reasoning behind it. But it was through... I found a quote um, from a Ligonier article. Because Alex, your question got me thinking. I'm like, that. it's a great question. Yeah. Um, and he says at the end of the, the article um, that he worked in through these authors making use of their skills, personalities, and even histories to accomplish his plan. This is how the Lord works out his will more generally as well. God uses our wills, desires, and actions to accomplish his purposes. Yeah. And so there's there's that idea of using us as vehicles because we each have our own unique um, idiosyncrasies about ourselves, and that's how it plays out in Scripture as well. Yeah. So that was an, an interesting perspective on my question. Yeah, it makes me think of that bobbing quote at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. It talks about like the idea that this isn't like explicitly, there's not, you know, 3 Timothy where he says... That God actually verbally wrote down every single word of this whole scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, right. the stuff that is written after this, all of it. We God, you know, there's not that verse in scripture, so we are to some extent piecing things together on top of church history and you know all the the aspects of like authority and trusting scripture. <clears throat> well, the last thing that I want to talk about is the idea of scripture being self-authenticating. And hopefully that's not a really big thing for us to, to jump to because we've we've spent some time talking about how Scripture is breathed out by God. And so if it's breathed out by the infinite, perfect, holy God, then all of Scripture is self-authenticating, meaning it authenticates itself. So we don't go to external authorities to... Um, authenticate scripture we go back to scripture so this is the idea of if there's a less clear less clear verse in scripture we try to find a more clear verse that will help us explain it so James and Paul the idea of this horizontal works and vertical like horizontal uh, faith is faith without works is dead with the idea of this vertical relationship so there's times in the Bible where there's there's vague uh, verses and instead of trying to go external to, to, to explain them, we would want to go into Scripture further to try to explain. And we see this a lot in the New Testament where there's a clarification and a further explanation of Old Testament law, things like that, an application to, um, to, uh, to, to reality. So London Baptist, chapter 1, paragraph 9, the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. And therefore... When there is a question about the true and full sense of any scripture, which are not many, but one scripture, it must be searched by other places that speak more clearly to it. So simple, the idea of self-authenticating. 
And so that just, I mean, that's kind of the, the idea that we wanted to get across. So we're going to talk about, hum- I'm not, but other folks are going to be talking about human authorship the next couple weeks. Uh, Jeremy is on deck. Are you on deck? Yeah. Okay. Are you doing both weeks? Doing both weeks. Oh, nice. Stay tuned. Two-part so, series. Two-part two <laughs> series on human authorship. So like, so we've established that this is, so this, in essence, we are building on each other. So we've established that God spoke these words into existence and into scripture but how did that actually happen through human human authorship, historical context, and so forth? Like I mentioned before, 40 authors, 1,600 years, and yet there is this self-authentication that actually is possible. Um, and so this is, and, and I think to, to some extent, hopefully this wasn't too heady. I don't, I'm not a very heady person, so I don't think it could have been very heady. But I think inspiration is something that all, we should all have an idea about as christians like we this is not a theological discussion this is how we operate as christians we have to have some understanding of what scripture actually is how it came into existence what authority it has and and that we can trust it because without it the gospel is not really the gospel right like if 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 this is all just interpretative individually and we can use external means to interpret then we have no assurance of salvation, really, because the scriptures could be fallible. So we'll talk more about infallibility and things like that, but I think it's important that we all as Christians have this deep understanding of what what inspiration is. I think uh, the idea of self-authentication and the, the, everything that's been spoken about today is, is uh, comforting and reassuring. Both It, it should uh, inspire... Not inspire, yeah. Inspire, inspire us to not only handle the word but rest in it once yeah. it's been spoken by exactly. us. Because though it is written by men and it's it retains their in many cases a lot of their personality and stuff in it, it's one hundred percent God breathed. Yeah. And uh, because it authenticates itself, we don't have to. Though we should have proof text and we should be able to use the Bible where appropriate to speak to various aspects of life and creation, all that. Ultimately, because it's God-breathed and self-authenticates itself, um, it, 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 uh, we can rely, rely in it um, in a way that you can't rely in uh, any other book mm-hmm. because uh, uh, it's described as the sword of the Spirit and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So, um, though we must handle the book, there's always this spirit portion of it that's accompanied by it and um and in order for people to truly believe that uh that uh, what the word says as much as we must labor in it and handle and everything um god uses that ultimately to do a hard work in those who hear it yeah um and uh that's something we we both strive to to learn more about the Bible and yet we can rest in God knowing that he's got to do the work in the hearts of those who hear it that they might become believers yeah um, and it's amazing it's like uh, there's a it's one uh, for the rest of the world you know circular argumentation is bad but ultimately it's a good thing here because you know some arguments in the Bible may become circular that's because 
it's a spiritual book. Yeah, in order for them to leave, they have to have faith, and that must be gifted by God. It's circular, but what's in the middle of our circle? Yeah, right. It's God, the Creator yeah. of everything. So there is, right? by it being circular, we're saying there's more to this. There's God. Yeah, and we believe in it. This book speaks about Him. Yep. And that's what the context of of Second Timothy is. Before we get into those two verses that we focused on today. He's talking about faith and, and salvation in right. Jesus Christ. Like, that's the point of this. Like, we can have confidence in our salvation because this word from God was breathed out and it was inspired and we can trust in that. Any other closing thoughts? I've got a quote to finish this off because I like to finish with quotes. And I think this is a really good one. So this is from Bob Inc. Uh, God is infinite, all-knowing, and holy. All of our talking about him also in the Bible, is human speech. The Bible always speaks of the highest and holiest things, of eternal and invisible matters, in a human way. Like Christ, it does not consider anything human alien to itself. But for that reason, it is a book for humanity and lasts until the end of time. Mm -hmm. It is old without ever becoming obsolete. It always remains young and fresh. It is the word of life. The word of our God endures forever. And we could say amen to that, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I am. We are right at ten, so I'm going to close on time. And if we want to have future discussion or further discussion, we can. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that we get to discuss. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in such an awesome way, in in a way that we can understand, and not just understand that we can have our lives transformed. That this whole world can be transformed by. Uh, what you have revealed to, to, to creation uh, in your natural revelation and, and to us in your special revelation. Lord, let us not take that for granted. Let us help. Let us be humble in our approach to Scripture. Let us be um, all ferocious about getting into the Word and, and understanding and having the Word teach and reproof and correct and train us in righteousness. Lord, we thank you for all this um, and many more things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.